Welcome to the Data Points podcast. Focused on the importance of data in a 21st century world, we discuss data-centric topics such as fundamentals of data management and use, strategies for building buy-in within organizations, the crucial role that communities play in this important work, and so much more. My name is Andrew Nicklin, and I'm the Futurist at Large at the Centers for Civic Impact. In this role, I normally look at emerging best practices at the intersection of government, data, and technology. But for the past year or so, I've also been supporting some valuable research projects at our parent institution, Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're taking a look at the COMET project, an initiative that examines the intersection of public health and bioethics, specifically the implications of vaccination for people who are pregnant and are lactating. We'll talk about how this team together, what interesting work has taken place in the last six months because of them, and we'll dig into some of the nuances of collecting data and disseminating it. We're joined today by Dr. Ruth Faden, Dr. Ruth Karen, Dr. Carly Krubiner, and Eleanor Zavala, and these are all folks that I've been working with on a day-to-day -day basis to bring this mission to life. So I'd like to start by asking each of you to tell us a little bit about yourselves, specifically what it is that you do, say, outside of the COMMIT project and the passions that drive your work. And last time, we were honored to have Dr. Faden as a guest when I posted an episode previously, and she was the last person that we introduced. So this time, she's going to be the first person that we introduced. So Dr. Faden, would you mind introducing yourself? Thank you, Andrew. And it's a pleasure to be back with you in this capacity. Uh, my name is Ruth Faden, as Andrew's introduced it. I'm the founder of the Berman Institute of Bioethics at Johns Hopkins. Most of my career has focused on questions of justice and fairness in public health policy and clinical practice. And I, um, right now, and actually for the past 10 years or so, have been focusing in particular on questions having to do with women, uh, women's health, and now in the current context, uh, pregnancy and lactation and the pandemic. Thank you. Uh, could I invite Dr. Karen to go next? Yes, thank you so much, Andrew, and, and really great to be with you today. So my name is Ruth Karen. I am a pediatrician trained in infectious diseases and I'm what they call a vaccinologist, meaning that I've spent much of my career uh, working on vaccines, in particular, vaccines for children, um, particularly for against diseases that cause pneumonia, vaccine policy issues, both in the U.S. and globally through the WHO, and also more recently on issues that particularly pertain to pregnant women, exploring ethics issues with my colleagues, Dr. Faden and Dr. Krugner and uh, others in this journey. Thanks. And that gives us a perfect segue to Dr. Carly Krubner. Thanks, Andrew, and thanks so much for having me here. Um, my name is Carly Krubner. I'm on the faculty at the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics with Dr. Faden, and I also sit at the Center for Global Development in Washington, D.C. as a fellow. Uh, for the last several years, I've been working on various issues around ethics and public health policy, um, both on the research side as well as in um, programming. And uh, as Dr. Karen and Dr. Faden mentioned, I've been working for the last several years on the equitable inclusion of pregnant people in both research and deployment of epidemic vaccines. So I'm excited to be here to talk about our latest project. Thanks a lot, Carly. And last but certainly not least, Eleanor Zavala. 
Thanks, Andrew, and thanks for having me. Um, I'm Eleanor Zavala. I'm a research associate at Johns Hopkins in the School of Public Health within the International Health Department. Um, my training is in human nutrition and specifically nutritional interventions in low and middle income countries. Uh, but part of that interest also uh, relates to antenatal care and um, the care that women receive, including really important vaccines. Um, so it's been an honor during um, this scary pandemic time to work on a project um, that is very, very important. Uh, great. And I, I've been really excited to work on this project, too, and I continue to be excited to talk about it today. So we've been saying this project, this project, this project, but we should actually get into what this project is, right? So um, I mentioned COMIT before, which, uh, if I understand correctly, stands for COVID Maternal Immunization Tracker. And maybe I want to start with Dr. Karen and ask you a little bit about kind of the the concept for this. What are we What are we trying to do with COMIT? What are we trying to achieve? So COMMIT is a project that is designed to make available to many stakeholders, policymakers, pregnant women, and all of those others in the global community who are interested, information about policies related to the, the offering of SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 vaccines to pregnant and lactating women. As Dr. Faden mentioned in her introduction, some of us have been working for many years on issues related to vaccination of pregnant people in the context of outbreaks, epidemics, and pandemics. And one of the things that we've learned in our earlier work, and again this time, is that very often pregnant women are systematically excluded from important clinical trials that can help inform the use of vaccines in pregnancy and in lactation. And unfortunately, for this particular pandemic, this, this pandemic was no exception. And pregnant women, despite lots of advocacy from us and from many other groups, pregnant women were not included in these studies. Nevertheless, epidemiologic data have shown that pregnant women are at increased risk of adverse outcomes from COVID-19 disease. And so it's critically important that pregnant women be included in vaccine rollout efforts. Because of this lack of inclusion of pregnant women in the clinical trials and the lack of data, the uh, policies for pregnant women have varied across countries. And the COMMIT tracker really um, articulates that and makes manifest that variation across countries in a way that's easier for, easy for, um, for visitors to understand. And so we've just launched this website. It's at uh, www.commitglobal.org, C-O-M-I-T global.org. Um, and, you know, I was just look, taking a look at it earlier today, and I noticed some really kind of both interesting and disturbing things, right? Like, number one is that we've got this vast disparity in sort of both access to vaccines, but also what policies, what policy recommendations are being made about these vaccines, what policy positions are being taken about these vaccines. There are countries where they say, yes, every woman who is pregnant or lactating should um, receive a vaccine, you know, immediately, no questions asked, get it done. There are other, there are many other countries though that are saying, no, 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 this is a terrible idea. 
don't do this, right? And and I think it's terrifying because what we should have is a little bit more of a kind of a unified position in the world, right? Like we should have these common stances. And I think, Dr. Karen, you got into that a little bit, a little bit of the reasons why, um, but I wanted to dig into that a little bit further, right? I mean, I think a few of the things to note here is that like in the US, we're really only working with, I think, three vaccines being, being widely distributed, but there are actually quite a number of other vaccines in other parts of the world. And so maybe we can touch on the nuances of like, uh, the different vaccines, where they're coming from, and perhaps how those studies have influenced the policies that are now in place. And maybe I can start with Dr. Krubiner for that one. Sure. So um, one comment that I'll just say is in reviewing the data, um, there actually weren't really any countries that I can recall that said, this is a terrible idea. Usually what they're saying is, we don't have the data. Therefore, at this time, we don't recommend. So I think that reinforces the point that Ruth was making earlier that when pregnant people are not included in the trials, it really puts policymakers in a, in a tough bind because policymakers are very uncomfortable, especially those who look at biomedical uh, products about making recommendations when there's no data. The good news is that at least in the countries where it has been much more permissive, we've been able to start to generate that data. So um, I do think that we'll continue to see shifts in these policies. And that's one of the real advantages of this tracker that um, we'll be monitoring how country policies are shifting over time and the data across all of the vaccines that are being rolled out where there are permissive policies in many places are continuing to generate data. And there are some trials that have been launched in pregnancy um, since the time after approval. But yeah, I guess that's all to say that, that currently, if you look at the map, uh, it is a bit disturbing because you'll see these huge swaths of red, um, especially in, in some highly populous countries where we know both there's a lot of people and there's a lot of um, people in their reproductive years and places where fertility rates are quite high. Um, and if you go to the country pages on the website, you can you can see some of that data, both about the population size of the country and the fertility rates. Um, so it is quite disturbing to think about, you know, depending where you are in the world, if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, it's either going to be really easy for you to get a vaccine and be protected against the threat of COVID, or it's going to be nearly impossible, um, regardless of whether or not vaccines are available to the rest of the population. I think the site is actually a, a really helpful resource because if you have that question, whether it's as you know a person living in that country, what's my, my country's policy on this? Or if you are working in policy and you want to see, okay, what have other countries said about this? Um, and then filter by vaccine to say, okay, well, we've got this specific product. What are my contemporaries saying about this in pregnancy? It's a really useful resource to go and, and find out what other countries are doing. Um, and in some cases, they'll offer the motivation for why. So I think we've we've gotten into, you know, what we have as a project. Um, we've talked a little bit about the website and the information that's on it, but I'd like to actually backtrack and, and maybe start at the inception of this, right? So, I mean, you've talked a little bit about like why we need this. Um, maybe we can dig into a little bit about how we started going about doing the data collection for this, right? We had to make some decisions about how we were going to understand the world and um, what we were going to track and perhaps even make publicly available about our, about our understanding. Um, I'm not sure who best to turn to this. Maybe I'll start with Eleanor, but I would hope that other folks jump in as well um, to, to just maybe talk through, you know, kicking off the process of, you know, examining the different policies and starting to understand the nuances between them and then figuring out like how we capture that in in data that eventually shows up as colors on a map or numbers on a website. Thanks, Andrew, for that question. I can't speak too much to the categorization of the 
policies. And so I'll, I'll let someone else take that bit. But I can definitely talk a little bit about how we took those policies and interpreted them and then created a data a database. Um, and so one thing that was really important was finding publicly available data. So that involved going to Ministry of Health websites and figuring out what were the public health authorities in each of these countries and where did they disseminate information. Um, you know, sometimes it meant looking at social media sites and looking for official social media posts, or sometimes it was a much more um, easy to interpret website. Um, sometimes the websites, you know, have special access. So in the country that we're in, we might not be able to access it. Um, so those are some of the challenges associated with just trying to find the information. And then once we found the information, um, determining how we were going to code the language. Um, and not only were the languages multilingual and in all sorts of languages that we had to translate, but then also the nuances of uh, what does the verb should versus must versus may when it came to um, seeking a provider consultation, what do those things mean in terms of the permissiveness of the policy? Um, and then another challenge that was really interesting was seeing how even in the few months we've been working on this project, how the policies have shifted and then how that impacted how we collected the data. Uh, so for instance, as Carly mentioned, some data has started to come out on vaccine administration in pregnant people in the U.S. And so because the U.S. has access to the mRNA vaccine, um, several other countries are citing or are creating more permissive policies around those vaccines because of that data coming out of the U.S. Um, however, that doesn't mean that those policies apply to the other vaccines available in that country. And so they'll change their language based on vaccine and that had an impact on how we had to, to uh, enter our data and, and sort of change the data structure. I think for me, you're also highlighting an interesting point, which is that government policies are not static. I think they tend to be slow. Um, I mean, in my experience working in government for a long time, you know, we would put something, we would put a lot of thought and energy into putting something out, but once it was out, it probably wouldn't change for a year or two. Um, and I think these days, especially, you know, with this evolving situation of coronavirus around the world, um, both governments and, you know, members of a population need to pay careful and close attention to what's going on um, and stay up to date. And so I know even over the course of this project, as we started, we, as you mentioned, we've had sort of countries that have shifted positions. Um, it strikes me that it's got to be really hard for a government to sort of just even keep in touch and keep keep policies up to date and keep those communicated with their own constituencies, with their own communities. Um, is that something that you see as being a challenge? Um, do you see this website perhaps playing a role in any of that? Well, I, I can I can quickly respond on that one, Andrew. In one of the hopes for the website is that it becomes a kind of uh, interactive, interactive and continual clearinghouse for, as Ruth mentioned, a range of stakeholders, including policymakers. So it is difficult for policymakers to, to keep up with what is going on just generally in this space. Uh, it's only one piece of the very big elephant of a puzzle for vaccine uh, deployment generally for a country. And vaccine deployment is a piece of like the you know larger puzzle of how to respond to uh, contain the pandemic more broadly. So it's hard, right? It's really, really hard. 
And the, the one of the things that the commit tracker allows the policymaker to do is look uh, to see what's going on elsewhere in the world with regard to exactly the vaccine products that that country has access to. So it's an incredibly complicated vaccine landscape, as you mentioned, Andrew. Uh, there are six vaccines that have been authorized for use for the, by the WHO, for example, with not authorized, but given pre-authorization and guidance. But there are many more vaccines than that that are currently being deployed at a population-wide level. So it's not even that the WHO can provide uh, continuing information. It provides information on the vaccines for which there is um, a guidance. That's only six vaccines at this point. So it's not that this vaccine tracker provides guidance. We're not an authoritative source. But if you're a policymaker in, say, Pakistan, you can look and see what is happening in Tunisia, if you're interested, if you discover that the, that your country and that country has are both using a Kazakhstan-produced vaccine. And I, I'm not joking here. These are all, you know, these are all real sort of possibilities. So we're hopeful that this will just make things more efficient, more comparative, and also open people's eyes. If you're a policymaker and your instinct, as is very often the case, and I hardly uh, set the table for this, to presume that if it's a pregnant population group, the right response is to be as conservative as possible. If it's pregnant women, say no unless you have a reason otherwise. We're hoping that the, the tracker will show policymakers who come with that disposition, which is common, that there are other places in the world, right, where other policymakers are seeing the pregnancy vaccine pandemic uh, relationship very differently. And so we're hoping kind of to normatively shift in that direction, not by our providing guidance, but spotting, you know, sort of spotlighting every place, including countries that are taking a more open approach to pregnancy and vaccines. That makes sense. And you mentioned, you know, you talked a lot about policymakers as being perhaps an audience for this website. And I, I was curious to know if you had sort of any other audiences for, uh, for all this information in mind when we were putting all this together. For sure. But I'm going to let other people respond <laughs> to that. For sure, for sure, there were other audiences. Well, maybe I'll take that a little bit. So I think the other, the the two other major audiences, but the obvious one is, of course, uh, pregnant individuals themselves and and those that care about them. But the other um, very important audience is healthcare providers, because healthcare providers has have very much, with some of these recommendations, been left a little bit in the lurch and. And I think Eleanor could speak to this, but the number of recommendations that say, talk to your healthcare provider, right? Please consult with your healthcare provider. And yet these poor healthcare providers don't necessarily, again, because of this, this data gap, right? They don't have any additional information to provide to their patients. So we really think that at least at, at minimum, um, those providers could look and see not only what, of course, what the policy is in their own country, but what the policy is in neighboring countries, what the policy is um, the WHO um, espouses, which I think is, is you know, incredibly important to many individuals across the world. I think the reason why I asked that question is because like our, our this podcast focuses largely on sort of the government space and and um, 
making perhaps data available from the government to the public. Um, but I also think it's really important to note that there are specific audiences in mind when you when you when you make data available, right? And so by choosing our audiences of policymakers and healthcare professionals, we actually made some decisions about the language that's on the site as a result of that, right? If we were if we were trying to speak to a person who wasn't in these in these fields, you know, perhaps even just a, a, a person who was pregnant or a person who was lactating, we might have chosen different language, right? But we were very deliberate about the language choices that we made because of our audience. And, and the reason why I highlight that is because I think that, you know, governments are in the same position, they have to make data available, but it's also important for them to contextualize it and use the language and the, you know, the, the common themes of communication and, and understanding their audience when they do that. Um, so just trying to draw a little bit of parallel there. Carly, you want to say something about that? Yeah, well, I was just going to say one other audience that I think we had in mind in developing this resource was um, both researchers and reporters. Um, so one thing that's been heartening during this pandemic has been a, a much deeper look at some of the gender dynamics that have been going on. And there's been a, sort of a big call out of, you know, not just the direct impacts of, of the pandemic, but the indirect impacts on um, on women, girls, and how gender dynamics have played out. So I think that this... Um, resource will be really wonderful for others across different settings. And it's it's a wonderful tool to really be able to access and, and play with the data um, that we have cultivated there. Um, so whether somebody's writing up a story to you know bring the issue to the fore about where vaccines are or not available for a whole swath of the population that happens to be pregnant or lactating as vaccines are being rolled out, um, or a researcher that's digging into the space, um, it's going to be a really valuable tool to not have to do all of the legwork that that we did to get the site up and to keep it fresh, that they can just go and, and spit out the numbers and say, this is what we're looking at in terms of the number of countries that have X or Y policy. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I, I mean, I think knowing your audience is, is super important for all of those purposes. And I love the idea of having this, re- having this data and this research available in the future. Um, and, you know, one of my other side interests is, is how you take information and archive it for, for long- electronic information and how you archive that for longevity. That's a challenge that I think, I mean, at, in my time in government, we faced that a lot, right? We built these systems, but we had no plan for what was this information going to look like and how was it going to be kept in 20 or 30 years or 50 years or 100 years? No, none of that. Um, and I think people are starting to think about that, but it, it's still, I think it's still a long road to go down. I want to maybe shift a little bit in, in terms of what we're talking about and maybe talk about sort of the positioning of a resource like this, uh, along with vaccination, along with the progress of the pandemic as a whole, right? So so we are, I think there's a feeling here in the U.S. that like we're over the hump of, of the coronavirus pandemic, that we are, you know, we're starting to open back up, you know, governors are talking about schools are going to be open in the fall. You know, we're getting some decent numbers for vaccinations, but nowhere near where I suspect everybody would like to be. And there's a there's sort of this the collective sigh of relief, um, I think, that's happening, at least here in the U.S. The same token, though, there's a lot going on in the rest of the world, right? We have countries that are sort of flaring up pretty dramatically at the moment. We have new various variants of the virus going around. And so it's not over. I'm curious to get your perspectives on how you think things are going to evolve, especially when it comes to collecting data, collecting information, and, and sort of the speed of that. And, and the reason why I bring it up is because here in the United States, some states are now slowing down their reporting on coronavirus cases, right? They're saying, we're only going to release information about this once a week or once a month or something like that. And it strikes me that that's like a very difficult position to be in. And if other governments start to follow that example, especially where there are hotspots, that could create a whole other set of issues. So I'm really just maybe sort of asking a general question about kind of the 
you know, the, the pulse of the pandemic, uh, the flow of data, and maybe some reasoning as to why we shouldn't stop now, why we should continue to press hard for, for data and to have data in as real time a form as possible. Let's not, my opinion is let's not take step back, steps back, but I would love to hear, you know, your, your perspectives on that as well. So, so I think, a, so I think a few things, it's a, it's a very provocative question. I mean, there are a lot of, lot of directions you could go with that question, Andrew. Um, so maybe I'd like to, maybe I'll first talk about the domestic situation and then let's talk about the world a little bit. Um, I think domestically, we need to continue to gather information. And I think the real impetus for us here in, in the US, for example, is around the variants because they're coming. Um, we, you know, the Delta variant is here and it's going to take over in the next few months. And we certainly have data to suggest that vaccination protects against it. But my guess is this won't be the last variant. It's just the current variant. And we're, we're going to continue to need to know um, how these, you know, variants affect efficacy of our vaccination or, you know, I've been on calls around our booster doses going to be necessary, et cetera. So certainly for, for our domestic populations, we need to, to gather that kind of information. I think on the global side, um, I, I just like to maybe talk about, I'm going to focus it a little bit. Um, there's incredible need to collect all kinds of data in places where this pandemic is raging. But maybe what I could do is focus it just a bit on the needs of pregnant individuals. And to say that our website is um, in support of and a companion piece of work to other very important work that's going on that really looks at both the burden of disease in pregnancy and uptake of uh, and either uptake by pregnant women in countries that allow pregnant women to get vaccinated or um, how how policy is translating on the ground to access uh, to vaccines for for pregnant individuals and how that plays out and what the actual uptake is. And we have colleagues at WHO and elsewhere that are leading some of these other studies that will generate, I think, really important data and data that can be benchmarked back to these policies. You know, one of the things that will happen over time with our tracker is we'll be able to look at how policies evolve. And it will be interesting to see how then does epidemiology evolve and how does uptake evolve relative to shifts in policy? Yeah, I, I love that. And, and in the early days of the pandemic, there was a lot of effort between Hopkins and the Coronavirus Resource Center. And um, I'm forgetting the name of the organization now, but it's, 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 it's a coalition of state governments to try to link together the change in coronavirus cases and in, in essentially change in new cases um, and deaths with policy, right? So what policies were going into effect? Are you closing schools? Are you closing public spaces? Are you closing parks? Are you increasing, you know, access to healthcare? Or, you know, what are the sort of policies that you're putting in place? And how is that affecting sort of the rate of infection? Um, 
and it was a really interesting resource and I wish it's still there and I wish more was being done with it and, and still additional data was being collected about the policies because it, it was really powerful. But that relationship is really interesting. And once you can start to, once you have that sort of connection built, it's then I think really powerful to be able to go back and do that analysis so that we perhaps don't make the same mistakes that we've made before. Um, Dr. Faden, you, you wanted to jump in on that. I just, I just wanted to add to what Ruth said and, and, and shift it a little bit. Two quick responses to your initial question, us, Andrew. First is to recognize that the data, to some extent, uh, is a source or base of power for influence. And countries have and states have manipulated the extent to which they make data available or even collect it for intentional political purposes. So when you don't report, right, you don't have, right? So if you, you aren't looking for, you don't report or you don't share at any of those breakpoints, you limit the ability of um, others to criticize the policies of your state, your country, your institution. Uh, there's evidence of that in the U.S. There's evidence of that in other high-income countries. There evi there's evidence of that in, in low- and middle-income countries as well. So that's sort of full stop, uh, something we just have to recognize. And so the push for you know good data about anything you can think of in relation to this pandemic is really important. Transparency, really, really important, because without that, accountability is impossible, right? So there's that. Then specific to pregnant women, we're in, as we are, I think, for everything, almost a, a tale of two planets, right? So in high-income countries, we're at this point, at least in the U.S. and increasingly in, in, in more high-income countries, where demand uh, is below supply, right? And the situation with pregnant women fits right into this. So earlier in the pandemic in the U.S., there was a concern that pregnant women would not be prioritized high enough, right? when a vaccine was scarce. Now that's gone, right? And the issue is uh, making sure that, that pregnant women are guided to um, receive vaccines. Uh, it's not a question of whether it's okay now. Well, let's get pregnant women vaccinated. In many other countries of the world, we've got these three steps. We still have to get pregnant women uh, authorized for vaccine administration, right? But uh, if that happens, there is no guarantee that pregnant women will receive vaccine because A, they may not be prior prioritized high enough relative to still a situation where supply is behind demand and need, right? Or, or they're prioritized high, but there's just so little vaccine in the country. So we're, we're looking for data all along that pathway to figure out or try to understand and, and, and underscore it with Karen was saying, it's not data we're collecting or that we're showing on our tracker, but data that continues to build an evidence base one way or the other for how much at elevated risk pregnant women are so that they can be appropriately prioritized, right? And then appropriately receive vaccine. And data about that is incredibly important to your kind of other comment, Andrew, about how governments are slow to uh, revise anything. So that remains true in the pandemic, but everything's on pandemic time. So it's, it's still the case that many government policies and global institutional policies are not being updated fast enough. 
but they're still being updated way faster than in non-pandemic times, which is why Eleanor and the team that she leads is going crazy trying to keep up with all of the changes uh, and making sure that the website will be up to, that the tracker is up to date. So I don't know if Eleanor wants to comment on our process or, or how it is that we're actually keeping the data up to date on the, on the tracker. Yeah, Eleanor, so 200 something countries, more than that for authorities that are involved in policy and policy positioning around, around vaccination for pregnant and lactating people. I think we're setting a goal that we're going to try and get updated data from every country once every few weeks. Um, that's that's a huge effort. How do you envision this work going forwards? And what what are your sort of both plans now that we've sort of gotten this information out there, and and not just for this project but for others? And how are you, how what's your vision for sort of keeping us up to date as we continue to move through pandemic time, as Ruth called it? Uh, so thank you both for that question. <laughs> um, yeah, we we are trying to. As, as much as we can keep the tracker up to date every few weeks, um, which means going through each country's uh, public health authority um, resources uh, and seeing if there's any updated information. And it's definitely been interesting to see what countries update regularly every few weeks or so, or even every week, um, and what countries have sort of put out guidance, let's say in February and have not made any changes since. Um, and some of those differences have to do with um, access to vaccines, absolutely. So in high income countries, we've seen a lot more changes in policies, much more reactive to um, new vaccines coming into their countries. And as the data comes from those countries reacting to it, and then in uh, low and middle income countries, we're seeing a lot slower uh, uptake of policies. And I think that very much aligns with the access. Um, but I'm curious to see how hopefully as access increases, um, how those policies will shift over across the world. And then another thing we're hoping to add is sort of um, not just public health authority policies and positions, but positions from regulatory bodies and uh, professional societies, so obstetric societies and, and those groups. So hopefully in a few months' time, we'll also have those positions to share, which will add another layer to, to this tracker that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm excited for that work too. Uh, Ruth Kay, um, where are we going in the future? What are we, what are we doing to change the world? Um, I, it looks like Carly had something to say first. Can she go first? I'm so sorry. Absolutely. Oh, I was just going to follow up on what Eleanor was saying. So, you know, we've done a tremendous ab amount of work sort of scraping available web resources to try and find these policies. But, you know, there are still 88 countries or territories where we haven't been able to find anything. And again, that, that might be because they don't really have vaccine yet. It might be because of... Um, the, the resources that they put out on the web. But what one thing we hope to see uh, and where we hope that this uh, web resource will be useful to policymakers is to see some of those countries that are in gray where we don't yet have an explicit position publicly available turn to some sort of color. And hopefully they can use the reference of, oh, wow, here's a website that shows me uh, some language that I might want to use for my context and that we can start to fill those in as well. Thanks, Carly. So now I'll turn back to Ruth Kay uh, and get get your thoughts on sort of where you see things going. What's going to be what's going to be next for the COMIT project, and what's going to be next for vaccines and 
parenting in general? Maybe that's a good question. Sorry, vaccines and what was the last thing you said, Andrew? Uh, parenting in general in the context of a pandemic. Parenting. Oh my <laughs> word. <laughs> well, I mean, because because you know, I mean, look, I'm 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 a father of two small kids. I'm thinking about like when are my kids going to get vaccinated? Right. That's like another topic. That's right. Well, that's so that's a so that's another topic for another day. And I think well, you could have another whole another podcast on on parenting in the pandemic. I'm I'm, I'm sure that's that's a topic that that would be really interesting to a lot of people. Um, you know, just a few thoughts, and, and, and I guess I want to just highlight some things that many people have said in the course of this podcast. I wanted to highlight something Eleanor said about, you know, it's, it's no surprise that high-income countries have had a flurry of recommendations because they have lots of access to lots of vaccines, and they've had to sort of think about which vaccines for whom and when, and Low, many low and middle income countries have had incredibly limited access. So their impetus for recrafting recommendations in the absence of vaccine has been has been, you know, minimal. And I and I think um, my hope is that, first of all, over time, access and infer the kind of information provided on this tracker will lead countries to craft their own recommendations thinking, keeping the interests of, of pregnant people um, in mind and at the forefront. And then, you know, along those lines, the whole, the, and I think this, for those of us who um, work in the ethics space, which is many of us here, um, the whole issue of justice and access to um, COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, our, our tracker is a small wedge into that larger issue, but um, it's it's certainly, it's something that keeps me up a lot at night when I think about this pandemic. It is, you know, an ultimate injustice about um, the global distribution, both of um, the highest quality vaccines. There's a, there's a quality and a quantity issue here. Um, and so I hope that with, um, to be honest, with our donations, with our um, enabling of track transfer, though my own view is that that's a long-term solution, not a short-term solution, um, that we will be able to see evolution in this space over time and that our tracker will give a little bit of a window into, into that evolution. Before I turn to Dr. Faden for final words, uh, Dr. Krupener. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the other hopes building on this, you know, finally addressing this justice issue of, of pregnant and lactating people having been so widely excluded from, from the evidence base is that this is really a glaring display of, of what that means when you categorically exclude a whole segment of the population from the generation of evidence. Um, you know, I think if we had trials, if we might see a really different picture if um, policymakers were able to enter into these discussions about what the guidance should look like if you had the trial data. And so one thing that a number of us have been pushing for for many years is more appropriate and equitable inclusion earlier on so that we don't get to the policymaking space where then there's this challenge of, well, how do we make the right recommendations without the kind of data that we'd really like to have? Um, so, yeah, I hope this is a bit of an impetus so that we don't continue to see time and time again, um, not just in the you know emerging epidemic and pandemic space, but more broadly, the the harms that um, that widespread exclusion of pregnant and lactating populations can 
can cause um, downstream in terms of policy, in terms of access, and in terms of ultimately uh, health uh, and well-being. So I hope that that's um, that's sort of the next phase of of how this work um, shapes the world for the better. That's great. And I know personally, I would love to sit down with all of you at some other point and have a really detailed conversation about just the ethics of, you know, vaccine trials and including, you know, children and people who are pregnant and so on. I think that's just a really uh, interesting and complex space to to be in and think about and, and to live through. So um, Dr. Faden, Ruth, I'd like to just turn it to you for maybe the last few words. What I wanted to say is if we want to end on a data note for a data podcast, I would say that if we go back to the point Um, underscore the point that data is a pathway to power. And part of what we're trying to do here, as so many other efforts in the pandemic uh, have already so successfully done, is display the data that empower the advocates for the best possible outcomes to have at their fingertips, right? So the data we are working so hard to get right, to get accurate, uh, we think Uh, can speak for themselves and can provide the kind of um, leverage that uh, stakeholders of all sorts can utilize to bring about a fairer world, in this case, specifically for pregnant women, their offspring, and for women who are lactating and their babies. So data is a pathway to power. Couldn't be more excited to end a podcast episode on such a poignant statement. So thank you very much for that. Ruth, Eleanor, Carly, thank you so much for joining us today on the Data Points podcast. If you're interested in learning more about COMIT and the data that is being collected, you can visit the website at www.comitglobal.org. That's C-O-M-I-T global.org. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about data points and civic impact, you can find us at civicimpact.jhu.edu. Thanks again.